No mistakes. For the next two days, Chris was kept too busy by her mother to do anything about the poachers. In her spare minute, she showed Tim the main trails through their part of the pines and a few of her favorite places, like the hidden rock where the turtles sunned. He learned quickly and could soon identify most of the animal tracks that she pointed out. On her next trip to the grocery store, Chris met a tiny blonde woman who stopped her with a smile. You must be Chris. I'm Tim's mother. He talks about you all the time. The woman chattered on just like Tim did when he was excited. I hope he isn't a nuisance, but I'm glad he's found a friend. He's had such a rough time. Did he tell you about the car accident and his leg and all those operations? Seeing the surprise on Chris's face, she added, No, I guess he wouldn't have said anything. Well, you've really been good for him. I appreciate it. She moved away with a friendly nod, but her words raised a question that haunted Chris for the rest of the day. How could Tim feel so sure about God's love when, when something like that had happened to him? She ventured to ask him about it the next morning on their way to explore a cranberry bog. Her question didn't seem to bother him. I guess it's part of his plan for my life, he said simply. Chris felt like shaking him. How can you say that, she demanded. It's cruel of God to let your leg get smashed like that. No, he shook his head. You've got to look at it from another angle. Remember Joseph in the Bible, how everything seemed to go wrong for him? Chris nodded. Joseph was one of Dad's favorite characters. Well, after the car accident, I felt pretty sorry for myself. But then I decided that I wanted to be like Joseph. Tim straightened his narrow shoulders. I asked God to help me to trust him like Joseph did, and he changed the way I felt about my leg. He glanced up at her. God says to trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. He showed me that it was better to wait on him, and just waiting has helped me to trust him more. Chris saw the confidence in his blue eyes, and she felt a stir of longing. What would it be like to, to trust God like that? Abruptly, she switched to another subject. I've been hunting some poachers, she announced. Pretty soon, I'm going to catch them too. Tim looked so intrigued that she went on to explain how her father had suspected that somebody in town was giving inside information to the poachers. Why, that guy's a traitor, exclaimed Tim hotly. Chris nodded in agreement. My dad said there's a name for a man like that. He calls him a quizzling. A quizzling. Tim repeated the word approvingly. That's a good name for a traitor. Sounds sort of slippery and slimy. Chris went on to tell him about the old cabin and the snakes that had disappeared. He flushed red. Chris, I've got to... Okay, okay, she interrupted him with a smile. I know you're dying to find out where it is. I'd planned to go back again anyway. How about tomorrow afternoon? He agreed immediately, but, but he had a troubled look on his face. She remembered it the next day when he didn't meet her by the crooked oak tree as they planned. After waiting there for a long half an hour, she trotted down to his house. Tim's mother smiled at her from the doorway. He left over an hour ago, all excited, said something about a, a cabin and a, a surprise for you. Her blue eyes darkened. Is anything wrong? No, Chris said hastily. I think I know where he is. 
She shared her worry with charcoal as he trotted along beside her through the pine forest. He probably went hunting for that cabin. Oh, I sure hope he didn't get himself lost on the way. When they finally reached it, the old piney cabin looked dark and unfriendly, as if it had gathered all the afternoon shadows to itself. She left charcoal by a clump of turkey beard grass and crept through the bushes. As she carefully set each foot down, she noticed tracks in the sand that were not her own. The tracks looked like small sneakered feet and had an odd feature, a slight furrow in the sand at the tip of one foot. Was that made by a dragging foot? They must be Tim's tracks. For some reason, he had tried to sneak up to the cabin too. But where is he now? She checked the small clearing behind the cabin. The weeds had been recently trampled. There were fresh tire tracks in the sand. The cabin seemed to be deserted, though, and its dusty windows were blank. She stepped across the empty porch and through the back door, which hung carelessly ajar. The single room inside was bare. Alarm pounded through her. Quickly, she retreated to the sandy clearing and studied the maze of tracks once more. It looked as if a car or a truck had pulled in and backed out. Two cages had left the imprint of their sharp corners in the sand while they waited to be loaded. Someone heavy, wearing boots, had walked here, and so had a lighter person. But there was no sign of Tim. Unless... She gazed at a shapeless imprint left in the sand by, by some kind of bundle. Had Tim been tied up there while they cleared out the cabin? She stared at the imprint, and her mind filled with terrifying pictures. The poachers had caught Tim trying to spy on them. They had loaded him on the truck and dumped him into some cedar swamp. It was her fault, too, with all her talk about catching poachers. Maybe she would never see him again. Chris sat down on the porch steps with a thump. Something inside her ached unbearably. How could God let this happen? God doesn't make mistakes. Tim's voice was so clear in her memory that she gave a start. She shook her head, but the high, boyish voice rang through her mind. I asked God to help me trust him. Chris sprang to her feet, arguing with herself. She didn't have the kind of faith that Tim had. And anyway, how could she expect God to help her, especially after all the things she'd said about him since Dad's accident? She buried her face in her hands. Suddenly, she was talking to God for the first time in months. Lord, you know how awful I've been, but you saved me. And your word says you still love me and I need to trust you now. She added in a choked whisper, please help me. I've got to find Tim. For a moment, Chris stood still. Then she shook back her hair and eyed the tracks in the sand with new determination. It looked as if the poachers had loaded up in a hurry, but where were they going and what had they done with Tim? The quiet woods seemed to mock her questions, and she fought back a creeping sense of despair. Lord, I'm going to start trusting you now. Show me what I need to do, she exclaimed. Chris whistled for charcoal. While he plunged through the bushes to join her, she gazed thoughtfully at the place where Tim's body had left an imprint. What was that odd scratching in the sand beside it? Charcoal, sit, she commanded. She knelt by the smudged markings in the sand. Was that the outline of an airplane? If it was, then Tim had left her a message. The poachers were going to fly out of the pines, and Tim was still alive. At, at least he had been. 
She headed back to the path, calling for charcoal. Taggart Road. They had to be going there. It was the only road anywhere nearby that was wide enough, and it had one straight stretch that was just long enough for a small plane to use for a runway. She raced down a shortcut trail, wondering if she would get there in time. But even in her hurry, she was conscious that the bitterness inside her had disappeared. And then its place was a comforting sense that she wasn't alone anymore. As she splashed across the creek beside the far end of Taggart Road, the sound of an engine warming up confirmed her conclusion that the poachers were using an airplane. She was too late. By the time Chris reached the trees at the edge of the road, the plane was already rolling past her, taxiing for takeoff. She stood there panting and watched helplessly. The little plane rushed down the length of the gravel road. It was getting closer and closer to the end of the straightaway where the road made its turn by the creek. After endless seconds, the plane lifted off, but it was still dangerously low. Chris leaned forward in alarm. Would it clear those trees in front of it? The plane's nose pulled up, and the roar of its engine sounded frantic in her ears. At last, it began climbing. Not enough, she thought. It's going to crash. She began to run. The plane hit the dark wall of the trees with an agonizing screech of metal against wood. The engine died. The wings tore off. The tail crumbled and the plane's body fell through splinter branches to the ground. Minutes later, Chris reached the wingless, twisted hulk. In the dead silence, she could hear her own heart pounding and then a groan. She jumped for the pilot's door and wrenched it open. The tall man staggered out with a dazed look on his face. Still groaning, he allowed her to lead him away from the plane. As she turned back, she saw a thread of black smoke, smoke curling up from below the engine. The odor of gasoline hung heavily in the air like a warning. She ducked back into the cockpit and found the man's son, but no one else. The teenager was unconscious. Hastily, she yanked up the metal flap to release his seatbelt and tried to lift him out of the plane. His limp body was heavier than anything she tried to carry. Anxiously, she glanced at the smoke. Now it was a thick black column fed by an orange flame. She had to get him out before the flame reached the gas tank. With a desperate effort, she heaved the boy clear of the plane and struggled with him to the trees. Beside her, Charcoal pranced and whined, but she ignored him. All she could think of was Tim. Why wasn't he in the plane? She ran to throw handfuls of white forest sand onto the fire. Charcoal was a nuisance, nudging at her. He turned and dashed toward the rear of the plane, barking in excited yips. Yes, they've probably got snakes back there, Charcoal, Chris muttered distractedly. I've got to put this fire out. But she stepped over to take a quick look through the door of the baggage compartment. Half hidden under a tangle of boots, cages, and supplies, she saw a brown sneaker. She dived toward it. Tim! He was tied hand and foot, and his mouth was taped shut, but the blindfold had slipped off, and his blue eyes were sparkling at her. She grabbed his bound hands and dragged him to safety, laughing with relief. Wait there, I'll be right back. She hurried to throw more sand on the smoking engine, and at last the flames seemed to be dying down. She heard the welcome clatter of a car on the road and turned back toward it. The game warden's truck braked to a halt, scattering gravel, and two men leaped out. She ran to meet them. Thought I heard a plane go down, the warden said, as she rapidly explained. The other man checked on the poachers while the game warden cut Tim's ropes and removed the tape. I found that quizzling Chris, Tim burst out. He's Tom Crockett. That's why I had to come out to the cabin to make sure. They've got snakes in the plane, too. The game warden was already leaning into the plane. Whoa, what a load. 
No wonder they went down. Look at all this stuff. He lifted out a cage of snakes. Tim hoisted himself to his sitting position, and his words tumbled out in a rush. Chris, I've got to tell you something. I'm the one who let those snakes out of the cage at the old cabin. I followed you there. I thought it was mean of them to trap them, and I didn't know you were going to call the game warden. Before she could say anything, he hurried on. See, I, I heard a guy say something about Tom Crockett in the grocery store, and it made me pretty sure that he was the man your dad wanted to catch. So when I knew he was going to warn the poachers, I went out to the cabin, too. His face fell. Only they caught me, and I didn't know what to do. But I prayed a lot. Chris understood what he meant. I found your message. His eyes lit up. The airplane? I knew the Lord would show it to you. Hey, Chris, he made it turn out okay in spite of me. No mistakes, right? No mistakes, Chris agreed. She blinked away happy tears and grinned at him. I'm learning about that.